One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In today's episode, we continue our rewatch of The Leftovers with episode four of the final season, G'day Melbourne. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I want to know what you're smuggling here on Big Squid. Thanks for joining me as we dig into another brilliant but confronting episode of The Leftovers. It is a confronting episode, isn't it? Oh my lord, it just made me feel so icky watching mum and dad fight. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, this one is a bit late. I'm working on a new show for the ABC as a talent producer. Uh, The new show is called Question Everything. We're on TV as of next week, and I think this is going to be a brilliant show. It's hosted by Will Anderson and Jan Fran, and it is all about understanding how you get your news and why you get it delivered the way that it uh, comes packaged. It's all about... Uh, disinformation and such an awful term that's thrown around too often, but essentially fake news as well. So keep an eye out for that. That's taking up a bit of my time, but it gets into a bit of a schedule as of next week because we're finally on air. So once again, sorry, this is a little bit late, but that's what's been going on. And uh, once I kind of get my head around everything, we'll be right back on schedule, which will be next week. Uh, Remember, if you'd like to discuss this TV show or anything you're enjoying at the moment, you can join our open Facebook page or even join our private page. It's just private because that's where we discuss things without worrying about spoilers. Anyone can join in. You just have to really like stuff and enjoy talking about it. Uh, I haven't been in there of late. The uh, 
couple of weeks ago, I had the second Pfizer shot and that kind of knocked me and then getting this show up and running has uh, held me back for the last two weeks, but I'll get in there soon and see what everyone's been discussing. It's a good gang of people, so uh, please come and join if you would like to be a part of it. In the meantime, it's time to get into this brilliant episode of The Leftovers. We're in Australia and it is called G'day Melbourne. Kevin, what's wrong? You can tell me anything. No, I can't. Just tell me exactly what you think you saw. I don't think I saw anything. I don't understand what's happening. So it's a sting operation. Right. I'm going to find them and I'm going to destroy them. What? Is this real? I didn't know how to handle you talking to a dead person. Oh, Jesus, is it happening again? We watch as Nora and Kevin arrive at the airport, their passports in hand. Nora has a priority entry that doesn't include Kevin, so he is forced to wait in line and take the long way through customs. I'll just see you on the other side, okay? Says Nora. Alone, Nora makes her way to pass through security. She's in a good mood, even buoyant. She walks through the metal detector, though, and sets off the alarm. Is this another example of Nora being at odds with technology? Not this time. It is pointed out that Nora is still wearing her watch. She removes this piece of jewellery, walks through, and nothing happens. And she looks pretty happy with herself. A man behind her tries to pass through security with a life-saving jacket, and security doesn't want to let him through. But he begs. He begs. He has to be on that plane because there's going to be a nuclear attack, and he has to be on the other side of the world. Nora is bemused by what she sees, but soon heads off, lost in her own world, unaware that Kevin has caught up with her and watches her from behind. He finally catches up to Nora, and when they speak, there is a weird energy between them. Kevin can tell that Nora is hiding something, and he asks her, What are you smuggling? Nora leans in and whispers into Kevin's ear that she has $20,000 strapped to her body and walks off. Kevin follows her into the toilet and she reveals that she used his duct tape to strap the money to her body. Kevin wants to know why she has done this and Nora explains in a very matter-of-fact way that it is illegal to leave the country with more than $10,000. Kevin is confused and asks why she just didn't give him half the money. He's a cop. There wouldn't have been a problem. Nora appears genuinely surprised. She hadn't even considered this as a possibility. Now she needs Kevin's help removing the duct tape. It leaves red marks on her pale skin. You hiding anything else you want to tell me about, says Kevin. Nora looks at him, smiles, and then pulls him in, undoing his pants, and they proceed to make love in the airport. Later on the plane, Nora tells Kevin about the 119 people who supposedly supposedly went through to wherever the departed went. Nora did her homework and there is no evidence of any of them still being around in our world. Every one of them is unaccounted for. Kevin is confused. They have to be somewhere. Nora points out there wouldn't be any proof if they've been cremated. Kevin is still wary of everything that is going on and asks Nora to explain to her how this sting operation is going to work, especially especially since she doesn't have jurisdiction in Australia. Nora is excited as she declares she's going rogue. Kevin still doesn't quite understand what is happening. He needs more information. Did the people who approached her know she was a fraud investigator by profession? She explains they know all about her, even Kevin. Now he wants to know how they'll explain him being in the country with her. 
Nora says playfully that she'll just tell them that Kevin has come down to say goodbye to her because he's realised they're in a codependent, toxic relationship and they're better off apart. Nora smiles and is happy with this response as she closes her eyes. Kevin looks on, uncertain. He watches as she goes to sleep and he is left alone with his thoughts. They arrive at their hotel in Australia. Nora asks if Kevin is going to look up his father, but he has no intention. He came down to Australia to be with her. Besides, if his father wanted to be in touch, he would have let Kevin know where he was so he could contact him. Nora notices the hint of anger in his voice and changes the topic, pointing out that he brought Matt's book with him. Kevin tells Nora that he read it while she was asleep, and she is fascinated by this. She opens to a random page and begins to read. It is a part of the book which tells the story of Kevin being in the other place, where he has just spoken to David Burton on the bridge and taken the little girl down to the well. Nora stops reading and asks Kevin what happens next. We see Kevin flash to the other place as he remembers pushing the little girl, young Paddy, into the well. He pauses and then tells her what came next. Jesus, where does he come up with this stuff, says Nora. Suddenly Nora's phone rings and when she answers, she's given strict instructions to catch a certain bus across the road in 15 minutes and where that bus will take her. If Nora misses the bus, then these people will move on and she will never have contact with them again. Nora quickly grabs her stuff and begins to race off. Kevin wants to follow her, but Nora tells him she has to do this alone. He says he understands. But his answer isn't true. It is an answer of recognition, of compliance. She kisses him goodbye and heads off. Kevin turns on the TV and there is a morning show called G'day Melbourne. Disinterested, Kevin tries to turn off the TV, but when the remote control won't work, he has to call downstairs to find a new solution. The man on the desk asks them to give him a moment and he'll reset the room. They also add Kevin's name to the booking as it was only in Nora's name. While he waits, sitting alone, Kevin picks up the book that Matt has written about his life and begins to read. As he does this, Kevin has flashes to that moment he was hiding in the empty waterhole in Miracle with Paddy. He remembers arguing with her in the forest and the fear he had lost his mind. He continues to read and remembers Virgil offering him the poison. Matt's words stating that to drink the poison was insanity. But he did drink the poison and subsequently died. He continues to read where Matt poses the question, was it insanity to drink the poison or a sign of faith? He returns to the hotel where he is singing, singing himself back to life through the power of karaoke. Kevin loses interest in the book as there is a news report on the TV that there is another missing Kevin, this one a police chief. We see a photo of the Australian Kevin Garvey, the police chief accidentally murdered by Grace. This photo is followed by another photo, this time of his father, who was last seen missing a month ago. Kevin stares at the TV. What is happening? Lost in his thoughts, he watches as the hosts go over to another part of the studio for a segment with a chef. As Kevin watches, he notices in the background Evie Murphy standing by a window looking in. She holds up a sign that reads, Surah 81. Kevin leans in and stares at Evie. This is feeling like he's in the hotel room in the other place. Can you hear me? He says to the TV, to Evie. And once he asks the question, the TV turns off. Kevin hurries over to the phone and calls reception again, wanting to get back to the morning show. But they can't do this because they're resetting the room and the TV will be back on in a couple of minutes. Kevin thinks and asks, is G'day Melbourne shot live? 
The man on reception tells him it is and where it is shot. Kevin runs downstairs and hails a taxi so he can get to the studio as quickly as possible. Kevin fails to notice that Nora is outside at the bus stop. While she waits, she speaks to an older man when suddenly a woman carrying a baby runs up to her and asks Nora if she's a mother. Nora says that she is, and the woman quickly explains that she is running late for a job interview, her babysitter didn't turn up, and can Nora look after the baby while she goes in? It will only be about five minutes. Nora is at first reluctant, but the woman begs her, so Nora says yes and takes the baby. The older gentleman Nora has been speaking to tells her she's a good person, especially since that woman could run off and never be seen again. He points out that these are desperate times, especially with just six days left until the seventh anniversary of the sudden departure. Nora looks after the baby, but when the bus arrives, she panics, especially when the next bus won't be arriving for another 45 minutes. Nora tells the bus driver to wait and runs into the cafe, hands the baby to her mum and runs back for the bus. But the bus is already taking off so Nora runs alongside, hitting the door until the bus driver finally stops and lets her on. Meanwhile, Kevin has arrived at the public venue where G'day Melbourne is shot. He squeezes his way through the people who are lingering at the window trying to be seen on TV. As he looks for Evie, he appears momentarily on the TV screen before walking past. He looks around, but he can't find her. But then Kevin sees her heading towards a laneway across the road. He races after her, calling out her name, but the woman keeps walking. Kevin follows her into the laneway, calling out again, and this time Evie turns around. Kevin approaches her, angry, intense. He wants to know what Evie wants with him. Evie looks shocked, but before she can respond, Kevin points out that he has already finished this. He needs to know if Paddy has sent Evie to him. Evie shakes her head. She doesn't know who Paddy is. Kevin becomes more intense. He tells Evie that he saw her on his TV and she was looking right at him. While Kevin and Evie talk, a big Australian guy sees what is going on and asks Evie if she is okay. Kevin is confused. Can you see her? He asks. The man asks Evie if she knows Kevin, but she says she has no idea. Kevin is aggressive, says this is bullshit. He tells her that her name is Evie Murphy, but the woman says her name is Dania Mulbisi. Evie looks scared, even as Kevin pleads with her to explain why she is doing this to him. He grabs his phone to take a photo of Evie, but the Aussie guy grabs Kevin. A scuffle breaks out, and then suddenly the man is headbutting Kevin. Nora arrives at her destination and gets off the bus to find she is in a place that appears empty. A man calls out to Nora from behind and leads her to where she has to be. In a big room that has very little furniture but does have a piano, two women sit together while one of them plays the 80s pop song, Take On Me. They introduce themselves as Dr. Becker and Dr. Eden. It is very informal. They even apologise for it being so creepy and then they introduce Nora to a man called Bernard, a trained doctor. He asks Nora to take off her clothes so they can give her a medical checkup. Nora isn't enthusiastic about this, but agrees to do it. In Jarden, John and Laurie are helping a man contact someone who died. Their work is a success, but when the same man asks John to contact his sister, as soon as they realise the woman didn't die but departed, they change tact. John explains that he can't contact the people who departed because they're in a different place that he can't access. While this is happening, Kevin calls Laurie. He walks the streets of Melbourne, bleeding, but he's worked up and on edge. He calls Laurie to tell her that Evie is alive, and not only that, but that he talked to her. Laurie is confused and attempts to calm Kevin down. She needs more information. She wants him to explain what exactly happened, but he's so adamant he can't slow down. He can't take a breath and just explain. 
Kevin tells Laurie the name she used, so she looks it up and asks if Kevin saw her at the Melbourne Library. To show that he is correct, Kevin sends Laurie the photo he took. Laurie looks at the photo and says yes, that's her, but also under no circumstances should he go to confront her because it might scare her away. Kevin doesn't hear Laurie's concern as he's already hung up. He approaches a man dressed as a koala and asks for directions on how to get to the library. Nora continues her medical and then the doctor explains that when she enters the event chamber, it is a moment of confinement and to prepare her for this, they're going to simulate that space to see how she copes. He pulls back a sheet to reveal a box that Nora has to lay in. He explains that they're going to close the lid, keep an eye on her, but she can get out at any time. Nora climbs in and they close the lid. Kevin arrives at the public library, still attempting to clean the blood from his face. He looks around for Evie, and when he can't see her, he approaches a woman and asks for Denaya. Kevin is acting strange, so security's called over to drag him out, but then Denaya stands up and says it is okay. She acknowledges she knows Kevin. She takes him through to a private room and says that they should talk. Out of sight from everyone else, Denaya says, I am Evie Murphy. I have started a new life. Can you please not tell my mother, father or my brother? I just want to be left alone. Kevin wants to know why she is doing this and Denaya says, because there is no family. Kevin leans in. He's angry. He wants to know why she is using this weird accent. She doesn't sound like Evie at all. He's aggressive and gets in too close to her face. But as he does this, Denaya begins to pray. Kevin watches confused. I have compassion for you because you are ill, says Denaya. I wanted to help. She told me to tell you that I was who you thought I was, and then you'd go away. Who told you? says Kevin. Laurie is out for dinner with John as Kevin suddenly calls. She picks up the phone, ducks outside to take the call, and immediately Kevin wants to know what she has done. Kevin is furious that Laurie called Evie and told her what to say. Laurie is calm and tells Kevin to go back to the hotel, but he's angry that she claimed that he is ill. Laurie pleads with him in a very calm manner to leave and then reminds Kevin that you never tell someone when they're in the middle of a psychotic breakdown. Kevin threatens Laurie that he'll call John and tell him that he just spoke to his daughter. Laurie asks Kevin to pull up the photo of Evie that he took. She gets Kevin to listen very carefully. You could have called anyone, but you called me because you know that I can help you. I'm going to help you now. This isn't real. That girl is not Evie. Look at the photo again. Kevin looks. The girl looks nothing like Evie. He looks at the woman who looks like the woman in the photo, and her eyes project nothing but compassion. The woman approaches Kevin and says, I am leaving now. Kevin is shocked. He doesn't know what to do. Laurie thinks that Kevin projected Evie onto a stranger because he understands why Evie joined the guilty remnant, why she left her family. Kevin wants to escape. He's the chief of police, but instead he's travelled to Australia when in less than a week away from the seventh anniversary of the sudden departure, all hell could break loose. Also, he left without telling any of his friends. Kevin explains that he followed Nora. She needed him. Laurie asks if Kevin and Nora are okay. Ask John about the fucking book he wrote about me, Kevin replies before he hangs up. Back in the hidden location, the lid is lifted, revealing Nora laying inside. Welcome back, says the doctor. He points out that her heart rate is very even, that most people panic. Nora asks some questions and she's told that Mark Lynn Baker went through to the other side, only just last week using their machine to travel to that place. Nora is curious. Why haven't the doctors used it? 
Dr. Eden replies she has everything she needs here, while Dr. Becker confesses that she doesn't like the odds. Dr. Becker explains that all they know is that they're sending people to where everyone else departed seven years ago. The odds that this destination has ample food supply, water, breathable atmosphere aren't good. Dr. Eden does tell Nora that some of their colleagues have gone through, including Dr. Van Egen, who invented the device and it was the person who was the first to use it. Dr. Becker continues to use her phone, barely looking up, dismissive of Nora. The two doctors speak in Danish, and Nora demands to know what they were talking about. Dr. Eden explains that Dr. Becker believes that Nora has cold feet and won't use the machine. Nora stares them down and declares that she won't get cold feet. In fact, do they want her money yet? Before money can be exchanged, they have one final question. Two infant twins are born. One will grow up to cure cancer, but only if the other baby dies. You don't have to kill the baby, you just need to nod to make it happen. Do you nod? Nora thinks. She wants to know if she nods, how will the baby die? Dr. Eden says it will be quick and painless. Now Nora wants to know if the baby is hers. Dr. Becker believes the question is irrelevant, but Nora believes it is relevant if they want her to answer the question. Then it hits Nora. Ah, the woman with the baby was working for them. That was part of the test. The two doctors don't know what Nora is talking about, but she's made up her mind. Kids die every day. What's one more? If it is going to cure cancer, of course she nods. The two women look at each other. Nora wants to know if that's it. And if so, what happens next? The doctors decide that they're not going to follow through with her. Nora is furious. Did she answer the question wrong? The two doctors get up and begin to leave the room. So Nora runs after them. She gets it. They want her to beg. The doctors don't stop walking. They get into a car and tell her to go home. This isn't for her. Nora is left alone. Back at the hotel, Nora rings her work asking for George's number because she's uncovered a massive fraud. She places foil over the fire alarm while she's on the phone and doesn't see Kevin return. He wants to know what's going on and Nora lets him know that she's furious because they turned her down. They didn't take her money. They must have known Nora knew it was a fraud. She's going to chase them down and expose them. Then Nora really looks at Kevin. He's still got bruising and blood on him. She knows something is wrong. She tells him that he can tell her anything. Kevin points out that he can't because the last time he told her everything, he woke up tied to a bed and she was gone. Nora explains that she didn't know how to react to him talking to a dead person. She asks if it is happening again. Kevin says they need to call Laurie. He needs help. He thought he saw someone. Nora wants to know who, but he won't tell her. Nora is upset. Why is it that he'll tell Laurie but not her? Will he tell Matt so he can put it in his book? Kevin gets upset. It isn't his fucking book. Nora pushes back. She thinks he likes it, that he wants to be Jesus Christ superstar. Kevin grabs the book and sets it on fire, throwing it into the hotel sink and yells at Nora that they don't have to talk about it ever again. In fact, they never talk about anything. Nora wants to know what he wants to talk about, but Kevin puts the question back on her. Nora says she wants to know why Kevin didn't stop her from giving away Lily. Kevin points out that is what she wanted to do, and she didn't even ask him what he wanted. And if I had Kevin, what would you have said? She's angry. She believes that Kevin was relieved that Lily was gone, and now he wants to have another baby? Is he insane? 
Kevin retorts that Nora would want to give that one away too. And while she's shocked by what he said, he continues, you can't have a kid because then you wouldn't have an excuse anymore to be a victim, he says. You won't have anyone feeling sorry for you anymore. Nora is hurt, angry. She doesn't want anyone to feel sorry for her. Kevin wants to know how long it will be before she moves past what happened. Move past what? That you lost your kids. I didn't lose them. They're just gone, she says. Then you should go be with them, says Kevin. They look at each other, the fire burning in the sink. Kevin walks over to the bed, picks up his bag and walks out of the hotel room. Nora is stunned. She doesn't know what to do. The fire alarm starts and Nora pulls out a cigarette, sits on the bed and lights it. In the foyer, the alarms are deafening as the firemen arrive. Kevin looks up where the hotel room is and then hears a voice from behind. He turns around to see his father. Kevin Garvey Sr. saw him on TV, called around to all the local hotels and finally found him. Grace then drove them to the hotel to find him. Is this real? Kevin Sr. says, of course it is, and wonders where he's going. Kevin says he is heading home, but he obviously hasn't seen the news. All flights are grounded. Kevin Sr. asks his son if he is alone. Yes, says Kevin. Well, you're not alone anymore, his father replies. Kevin gets into Grace's car and they drive off. Back in the hotel, Nora sits in her room, smoking. The sprinkler spraying water down all over them. As the water drips down her eyelashes, her tears mingle, lost in the moment. Nora is alone. Ah, there is a subtle, subtly telling moment in this episode that explains the gulf between Kevin and Nora. It isn't Nora joking, saying to Kevin that if the people running this scam ask why he's there, she'll just tell them it's a toxic relationship and he's come down to say goodbye. They are in a toxic relationship. It is why Kevin can't laugh at this comment. He knows deep down it is true, but that isn't the subtle moment. Uh, It also isn't the way Kevin is so cruel to Nora and tells her that she should go and be with her children. It is a horrible scene, a vicious attack by two people who aren't afraid to go for the jugular, something we haven't seen them unleash upon each other before. It is a gasp invoking exchange, one that didn't leave me feeling anything good about them as a couple. Uh, They feel like they're bereft of hope and optimism, and I felt like there was no way they could work anything out from this argument. But that also isn't the moment. For me, the moment that kind of really explains how uh, apart they are is when Nora reads aloud from the Book of Kevin and laughs at the part where Kevin pushes a little girl down into the well. She thinks this is hilarious, and to test whether Kevin did read the book, she asks him what comes next, and he answers correctly. And she's content with the thought he did, in fact read the book while she was asleep but he didn't read it he remembered the moment and it's fascinating that kevin hasn't told nora any of this and nora has no idea so whether kevin visited a magical place or found himself in a psychological construct to help deal with the trauma in his life those two journeys to that place have left an indelible mark on him. He managed to unshackle a demon that haunted his every waking hour and he found a way to sing his way back to life. Whether it was a real experience or a flight of fantasy, it has had real-world consequences for Kevin and it is shocking that he hasn't shared any of this with Nora. He has obviously told Michael and probably Matt, but, but not Nora. 
in their argument in the end, he explains he doesn't want to be honest with her because the last time he did that, Nora left him shackled to the bed and ran away. Which, to be fair, if my partner said they were haunted by someone, they helped murder themselves, I'd be on a one-way trip elsewhere too. I'm on Nora's side with this. But the fact that he hasn't shared any of this, even in a light-hearted, broach-the-topic kind of way, is really informative to me. For starters, if he had told Nora about this place, doesn't that explain why he keeps choking himself out? Try, like, that he wants to return to that place is, I think, makes more sense, or at least is a little bit, uh, you know, taking the edge off some of this, you know. Like, that's a confronting thing to find. If he wanted to get back there, you go, oh, yeah, no, no, I get that. Like a place where he is a man of action who can choke out an enemy or ring out a song. Like, you know, if Nora knew what he endured over there, maybe she would have been able to help in these last four years and in turn be drawn closer, their relationship being more open, growing together and becoming stronger. This has always been the problem with both of them. They're extremely honest in moments, but they're also terribly damaged people who keep their issues to themselves. Come on, guys, have a little chat. They're mistrustful of those around them and in turn cause more damage by believing this to be a fact. Why else would Nora not just tell Kevin, who is a cop, that she needs to bring money for this thing and could he help out? You know he would have gladly done so, but Nora goes her own way. She doesn't believe she can rely on anyone. She doesn't believe she needs any help. She would rather be foolish than smart. She'd rather be dangerous than practical. She'd rather be private than open. This is such a compelling hour of television, but it makes me feel anxious all the way through. I believe in the relationship between Kevin and Nora. I believe there is a real connection that can be perfect for one another, but they both have to let go. They both have to be completely vulnerable with the other, and it is their inability to do so that leads to this terrible moment. Kevin has always been haunted by the life he's been trapped in. He followed in his father's footsteps, professionally and emotionally. He had an accident with Laurie and baby Chris and immediately found himself with a family after a night of high emotion in the woods and the terror of the guilty remnant and everything they inflicted upon Mapleton, he once again found himself with a brand new family unit. Kevin has been longing for something else, something more his whole life, but he continuously fails to find his way. Kevin has long been a product of what the world wants him to be rather than what he would like to be. The problem is his ennui keeps him miserable and blinkered. He only knows how to run away. He runs away from Laurie and cheats on her, lies about smoking. He runs away from Nora in his sleep. He drinks poison without taking this decision into account or even talking it over with her. And now he has close friends believing he's the new Jesus, that his stories are the tales of a martyr sent to save them all. And what does he do? He runs to the other side of the world, to Australia, to distance himself from his life again. Kevin is also terribly lonely and he's afraid of losing Nora. He isn't stupid. He knows something isn't right with her. The way he looks at her at the airport, on the plane, in the hotel, he can't articulate it, but he knows there is something going on. As soon as he's left alone in a hotel again, he begins to see visions just like he did with his father. But in that in-between place, maybe he did commune with his dad. In the real world, he conjures up a dead girl, a girl who Laurie is probably right about, is a representation of escape. 
Nora wants to escape too. If The Leftovers teaches us anything, it is that our recovery from grief is not linear. It circles around us like a comet that visits us from time to time, and all we can do is be ready for the next return. Nora likes to be in control. She doesn't want people to feel sorry for her, but she also doesn't want people to sidle over to her side of the turf. What she experienced was monstrous but there is little room for empathy for anyone else who might be going through something similar but expresses it in ways that doesn't feel comfortable with the way Nora feels I think she did visit Mark Lynn Baker to expose him and his group but when he expressed that he wanted to take control of his life this rang true for Nora because she feels the same way she doesn't tell Kevin about the money because her reasons for going to Melbourne aren't being shared with him she wants to know if this is real in any way so she can travel to be with her family Specifically, she wants to see her children. Losing Lily reminded her of that loss, and you can understand why she gave her adopted daughter back without a fight. If she fought and still lost, doesn't that make it worse? She had no say in losing her children on the day of the sudden departure, so why not just have no say in losing Lily at this point as well? I understand why she was angry with Kevin for not encouraging her to fight for Lily. We can also see how Kevin didn't know what to do. Who wants to get in the way of a rampaging Nora, a Nora who's made up her mind already? That was a tricky situation that came from the fact that neither of them communicated what they needed in that moment. Kevin, a man of action in the... In the far away place is a man of inaction in the real world and he needed to be told what to do. Nora, the strong woman who refuses to be broken, who refuses to be helped, who refuses to be pitied, needed someone to help her find her balance and in doing so discover the strength to be vulnerable and admit that she didn't want to lose Lily. Nora sees children everywhere. When asked if she is a mother, she answers that she is. Nora hasn't been a mother in a practical sense for a while, but it is interesting that she identifies as one as soon as she is asked. Later, when she confronts the doctors and has asked the question about one baby dying to solve the issue of cancer, she needs to know if they're hers or if the one that will die will suffer. Even though her answer is callous in the cocky way she spits it out, she was still identifying as a mother in that moment. What she doesn't realise is that her answer has suggested something else is wrong with her, something that tells the women she will not go through with their plan. What is it that they see in Nora? What is it about her answer that gives them something to give them pause? This episode is themed by the brilliant 80s pop song Take On Me by AHA, a perfect slice of pop music. The song will always be etched into our minds because of the film clip. Cutting edge at the time, now the old special effects make it feel grounded in a simpler time. A girl is drawn into the story she is reading and the hero breaks the boundaries of his two-dimensional world to be with the woman he loves. It is telling that this song permeates the episode. Kevin has broken out of the land of the dead to be with the woman he believes he loves, with the family he deeply cares for, even if he wonders if he deserves them. Nora wants to break free of the world she feels shackled in. She wants to go wherever her children are. She needs to take control and find out what is going on over there, even if that place isn't fit for life. The problem is that it looks like the real world isn't the right place for either Kevin or Nora. Kevin continues to deal with issues of sanity and Nora desperately wants to be whole again and believes her children will be the answer. They will both go to extreme lengths to make this happen. Kevin has drunken poison. Nora wants to crawl into a machine that might possibly incinerate her. Both are desperate measures, but these are desperate times. It isn't just this unhappy couple. Everyone is on 
edge. Everyone knows something is coming and there is no way to avoid it, regardless of whether it is another supernatural event or a human response to what might come. In the end, with Kevin and Nora incapable of connecting, he is cruel and walks away while Nora is left alone in a hotel room, the fire alarm leaving no effect on her, the water sprinklers soaking her to the bone, her tears hidden as if caught in the rain. for some squid bits. Uh, I remember reading ages ago that I think Damon Lindelof was the man dressed as the koala. I feel like I remember reading that somewhere. I just remembered that then. I would have uh, looked into it before uh, we got onto this. But uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's correct. So that makes me laugh a lot. Uh, Danaya is holding a sign that reads Surah 81. This refers to the 81st Surah or chapter of the Quran, which describes signs of the coming day of judgment. Uh, that is a cruel World Cup joke about Finland or another way to point out that the leftovers world is announced because Finland's national football team has infamously never been uh, qualified for the finals tournament of the World Cup. Uh, The opening song title is This Love Is Over, foreshadowing where this episode is heading. Nora making the joke about them being in a toxic relationship as a cover for him travelling to Australia with her comes back to haunt them as they break up in the end. When they enter the hotel, there's classical musical uh, playing, which Rui calls the episode International Assassin. Beginning this episode, there is a recurring gag where characters keep making Christian-related exclamations while talking to Kevin. It looks like they call Kevin Jesus, which fits in with the messianic story that is going on. So as an example, when Nora is reading the book, she says to Kevin, Jesus, how can Matt come up with this? Or when Kevin Sr. sees his son for the first time, he says, Jesus, I can't believe you're actually here. Kevin keeps remembering the other place where it is the wardrobe or the way he talks to the TV. Also, not being able to turn off the TV is also reminiscent of International Assassin. Nora lays in the box like she's a corpse. It's kind of confronting, isn't it? This episode bounces back and forth between Kevin and Nora's POV, which helps us see how apart they really are. Um... Keep in the back of your head the opinion Dr. Becker has about Nora. Also keep in the back of your head about the explosion and why flights have been uh, grounded. You'll find out about that pretty soon, that one. Uh, It is funny that Nora makes fun of Matt for thinking everything is a test from God when she finally believes the woman at the bus stop was a test from the scientists. So there's something they have in common. Kevin telling Nora she should be with her children is particularly hard on her because that is what she has secretly been trying to do all day. The box that Nora sits in has a fragile sticker on it. Here's uh, something interesting. Kevin Sr. and Jr. did communicate through TV in the real world. In International Assassin, they communicated through a TV. But did that happen? We don't know. But in the real world, Kevin Jr.'s TV doesn't work. He calls downstairs. He ends up with his name on the room. Then he goes to G'day Melbourne and appears on the TV just long enough for his father to see him, who then calls all the hotels to find where he's at. And they find him because he's now got his name on the room, which wouldn't have happened if the TV hadn't worked. So as you can see, TV brought them together. 
Uh, Nora is left in the rain at the end of this episode, just like the woman at the beginning of season three. Uh, That hotel was the Crown Central in Melbourne. Uh, The hosts of the TV show state that the spring fashion ball is themed uh, under the sea, which continues the flood references for this season. If you pause the book when Kevin is reading it, there's a part written down where Laurie explaining that Kevin had a delusional breakdown. While Matt is dismissive of Laurie's beliefs, this episode makes you wonder, no, I reckon she might be 100% correct. The man at the bus stop suggests the woman could run off and leave Nora with the baby. This is what Patty said happened to her in the International Assassin episode. Kevin also requests a book about assassins at the library. Did you notice that Nora is asked the same question that the man who set himself on fire was asked? Even though they both gave opposite answers, both were rejected. Lindelof suggested uh, the scientists are not looking for a specific answer. They're measuring attachment. And finally, Kevin and Nora's last argument about having a baby brings them full circle. Since the first thing Nora said to Kevin back in season one was, what's up with the baby? And that's when Kevin was carrying the baby Jesus doll. Hmm. Hmm. It's tight, isn't it? It's got that kind of Watchmen complexity when you realise everything's uh, referencing back. I love it. And this means we're at the halfway point of the final season. Uh, Only four more episodes to go. And I hope that if this is your first time watching The Leftovers, that you're pumped for the ending. Like you must be dying to know what's going to happen. And curious about how they're going to land it I'm very comfortable in saying it's perfect Uh, for those of you doing a rewatch I hope you're enjoying how much uh, you know there's all these little bits and pieces coming up like I hadn't remembered that about the the first conversation being with baby Jesus and when you put that together with this final conversation at this point you go woo okay (laughs) I love this I love this and I'm loving doing it um If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a top review on Apple Podcasts. And if you would like more stuff from me, you can head over to justinhamilton.com.au or you can find me on the socials. We'll finish off with another quote that is themed for this final season. It's all been about prophets and messiahs. And this one comes from American author Rob Bell, who said, If anybody didn't have a messiah complex, it was Jesus. That really makes sense, doesn't it? Until then. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.